We are continuing our series, as you said, kind of a mini-series um, on how we are to live in the household um, with Christ as our Lord. And the passage tonight actually has to do with slavery. And so many of you might be thinking, <clears throat> why should I listen to a message on slavery when we don't have it anymore? At least certainly not in America at the moment. Um, and you're right, we, we, we don't have it. And, um, but as we study tonight's text, um, I think that you'll see that this passage is actually incredibly relevant to our lives. In fact, I'm, I'm praying for you guys that by the end of this sermon, um, you will have learned some truths that really will completely revolutionize your life. Um, some truths that are able to set you free from a life of, of drudgery and bondage and set you free to a life of joyful, obedient service to Christ. And I think if a lot of us are honest, we, we really do feel like slaves. We feel enslaved to our responsibilities and enslaved to the work we've been given to do. And that's partly because like slaves, we all have people in authority over us, people who have the power to tell us what to do, to assign us responsibilities, like teachers, coaches, music teachers, and some of us have, have bosses. And in tonight's text, we're going to learn how and, and why we are to obey them. And if any of us find ourselves in positions of authority over others, this passage will also teach us how to treat them. So tonight, we will look at two commands that the Apostle Paul gives us, or gives to slaves, on how they are to do all their work ultimately for the Lord Jesus, so that we will be a people who don't just do our work for our earthly masters, but for the Lord Jesus, our true master in heaven. And then we will look at the command that Paul gives to masters, so that if any of us find ourselves in positions of authority over others, we will treat them in a way that pleases the Lord Jesus, our true master in heaven. So let's look again at tonight's text, Colossians 3.22. It says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so I just want to pray really quick and ask the Lord to uh, really teach us this passage and how it applies to our lives and just ask him for help now. So Lord, we thank you, God, that we have your word. We thank you, Lord, that it, is, uh, it has been revealed to us what your desires are for us in our lives, that it is applicable to our everyday life, um, and that we can know how we are to, to live as those who have been 
um, purchased by Christ, those who have now Christ reigning as our Lord. And we want to be uh, obedient followers of Christ. And so, God, I pray that you would help us now in this text that really is, it's such a high calling and, and such a difficult one at times, Lord. We really do need you to help us, God. We need you to produce in us obedience that pleases you, Lord, um, hearts that eagerly want to serve you in everything that we do. Um, so, God, we cannot do this without you, Lord, and we cannot see the truths that are here for us today if you do not open our eyes to them. Lord, this is a supernatural work that I'm praying that you will do, and you are the all-powerful God, so we thank you, Lord, that you will do this, God, through your Spirit, um, working through your Word. And so be glorified tonight, we pray. Amen. So you'll notice Paul first addresses bondservants. Bondservants. And so the question is, what is a bondservant? And, and it's really just a slave. And so you might ask, well, why isn't it just translated as slave? Well, because in today's context, when you hear the word slave, what do you think of? I think a lot of us probably think of African slavery in the 1600s to the 1800s in America. But slavery in ancient Rome was, was different than the slavery that we had in America. It, first of all, was not based on race. Um, slaves in Rome might be prisoners of war from different countries. Um, they might be sailors captured and sold by pirates. Um, they might be slaves that were purchased outside of Roman territory. Um, and in hard times, it was not uncommon for Roman citizens to sell their own children into slavery for money. And not only were there different races of slaves, there's also different kinds of slaves, like a whole range of jobs that you could be as a slave. Um, some were craftsmen who made things. Some were midwives who helped uh, babies be born. Some were traders and merchants. Um, some worked in dangerous salt mines. Um, some were trusted household slaves who may have helped run the family business um, and even raise and teach the children of the household. Um, so there were all sorts of different slaves and occupations for the slaves and therefore different social classes. Not everyone was just considered to be completely lower class because they were a slave. Some people were well-respected slaves. So the translators here translated bondservants so that we would have a different idea in our mind. We wouldn't be thinking of American slavery. So uh, as we go into tonight's text, let's bring ourselves into that first century Roman world um, where the city of Colossae was and know that in the church of Colossae, there were probably slaves there and there were probably there with maybe even their masters. Um, so slavery was very much a part of the everyday life of, of Rome at the time or the Roman Empire and it would have been so for Colossae as well. So the first command that Paul gives to slaves you'll notice is obey in everything. Obey in everything. And the first verb Paul uses here is obey. And this might seem pretty obvious, right? Like slaves are supposed to obey their masters. But remember what Paul said a few verses earlier 
in chapter 3, in verse 11. Go ahead and look there. It says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And in that verse, Paul basically said that a master is no better than a slave because these earthly identities are not really what's important. What's important is Christ. So Jews and Greeks, slave and free men are all one in Christ. And their earthly distinctions, that like you're a slave, you're a master, you're a Gentile, you're a Jew, those earthly distinctions are overshadowed by the more important distinction that they belong to Christ. So the question might arise in the slave's mind, the new believing slave, am I still supposed to obey my master? If we're really one in Christ, do I still need to obey my master? And Paul says here, yes, your role on earth while you're a slave is to obey your master. And then he goes on to say in verse 22 that your role is to obey in everything your master. In everything. Not in just some things, not in most things, not in only the things that are convenient for you or just the things you like to do, and not even in only the things that make sense to you. In everything, bond servants are to obey their masters. So let's just pretend, for example, that there was a well-respected slave, well-respected slave whose master put him in charge of his business. And his master gives him a lot of freedom because he's proven himself trustworthy, and so the master rarely checks on him, right? And one day, the slave shows his master that he discovered a more efficient way to run the business. And it'll cut down on the amount of work that he has to do, and it'll make his master more money. And his, he, uh, the, the slave shows this to his master, and the master considers this new way and says, yeah, thank you, but I want you to do it the old way. And the slave's like, well, like, don't you want to earn more money? Like, wouldn't it be great if like, my time could be freed up to do other things? And so the question would be, what should the slave do? His master will probably, honestly, never find out which way the slave runs the business because the master trusts him and he never checks on him. So what should he do? Well, Paul says... You should obey in everything. It's not just in the things that make sense. Like, even when your master is not looking, you need to obey in everything. And so the question is, uh, for us, who are our earthly masters? Who has authority over us? Who has the power to assign work to you or give you responsibilities? And then you have to ask yourself, do you obey them in everything? Do you obey your earthly masters in everything? or just in the things that suit you. And this text here is commanding you, as well as the slaves, to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, of course, if our earthly master was calling us to sin, we would have to disobey him, because as we'll see, we have an even higher master to whom we must answer to, and that, of course, is the Lord. But if it's not sin, then we need to obey in everything. 
And then the Apostle Paul tells us that there's a kind of obedience that can even be wrong, a an obedience that could be sinful. Look at what he says. He says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. And eye service explains the attitude of a servant who works hard only when his master's eye is on him. When the master's watching, he works hard and obeys him well. But when his master turns his back, he cuts corners or slows down or takes a break. So you could imagine, right, like a farmer, the master out in his field checking on his slave's progress. The slaves are hard at work. They're digging, planting, tilling, sowing, making all kinds of progress in the field. And then as soon as the master turns to walk away, some of the slaves slow down, right? They're not digging as hard. They're not sowing as, as much. They're just kind of like, oh, the master's not watching, so I don't need to work as hard as I was. And then once the master's out of sight, I mean, some of the slaves might be resting on their shovels, right, talking to their neighbor, uh, doing whatever suits them, right, and they're liking. They're serving really themselves. And why is this? It says in the next phrase, they're people pleasers. They work hard only to gain their master's favor. A people pleaser is not really concerned with obeying his master, but rather gaining his master's favor. He doesn't really want to be a good hard worker who obeys all his master's commands. He just wants his master to think he's a good hard worker who obeys all his commands. And his, really, his obedience is just a show. It's just an act. And I think if, if we're honest, this is what a lot of us do at work or at school. I mean, you can think of it like when the teacher's eyes are on you, you probably work at school in a different way. Or if you have a job and your boss is watching, you're going to work differently. I mean, as a teacher, I see it. <laughs> I see like my students, right? When they think that I'm not looking, they're like slouching in their chair. They're, they're not listening. They're not taking notes or anything. But as soon as they know the teacher's watching, and they're like, you know, their whole, everything changes. They're like showing like, oh, yeah, I'm totally paying attention. Like, you don't have to worry about me, right? Um, and so I think that's a lot of us, right? We might be tempted to have something open on our Chromebook that doesn't have anything to do with school, right? But then if the teacher comes by, we quickly change tabs or whatever. Um, because really, we're just working as a people pleaser. We're just trying to get our teacher to like us or to think that we're actually a good student when really we're kind of just doing whatever we want to do in class. And so we can even think, like, I might want to be a good student. And so I'm going to make sure that my teacher, I'm going to make sure that I appear to my teacher better than the other students. So I'm going to do things so that I stand out, so that I can get the favor of my teacher. Or maybe you're a person that really doesn't care about being a good student. Maybe you just want to pass as an average student. So you're going to make sure that you're just doing a little bit more than half the class and just showing that you're acting a little bit better than half the class so that your teacher will think, yeah, this is an average student. 
and you'll be like, that's exactly what I wanted you to think. But behind her back, you might be acting more like a bad student, you know? This is how we are as people pleasers. We just want to make people think we're a particular way when really we're not. And Paul is saying, this is not how we're supposed to obey. We need to obey in everything. And then he goes on to say how it is that we're to obey. He says, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So what kind of obedience is God commanding here? He says, obedience from a sincere heart. And a sincere heart, you could just say a genuine heart, like you actually mean your obedience. The things that you're doing out of obedience, like you mean it. You're not pretending to obey. You're not putting on a show. You're not faking it. But you're genuinely obeying from your heart. And this is what God commands you to do when you obey. And he says the reason why we ought to have this kind of sincerity. He says, fearing the Lord. This is why you're to work and put your heart into it. This is why it, it matters. You got to fear, you fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord in Scripture, um, we, could, we could say it's an appropriate reverential awe in the presence of God a reverential awe in the presence of God. And this isn't the kind of fear that you experience if you encountered like a terrifying beast in the woods, right, that makes you want to run away. Um, this is a kind of fear you experience when you're standing in the presence of a being so holy and so righteous and so powerful and so majestic that you can do nothing but bow before him in humble submission casting yourself completely on his mercy because you know you're entirely unworthy to be in his presence. That's the kind of fear that we ought to have for the Lord because this is who he is and we are entirely unworthy to be in his presence. And so that fear ought to, ought to change the way that we work. And now there's two things really interesting happening here about this fear of the Lord. And the first is this. Usually, when we think about the fear of the Lord in Scripture, we think about the, the fear of God the Father. We think about the Lord referring to God the Father. But here in Colossians, as many of you have, have noticed, is that uh, Paul has been using the word Lord not to refer to God the Father, but to Christ. So here, the Lord refers to Christ. Paul is saying that all our work is to be characterized by a fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that basically we ought to be in such awe of him that to disobey would be unthinkable, or that to work with anything less than all of our hearts would be unthinkable. And that's our number one desire, that we would uh, please him and to do what he says. And the other interesting thing that's happening here is actually not possible to see in our English translation but in the Greek, there's a powerful play on words happening in this passage. And you'll see it in the Greek word translated here as master. And so bondservants, obey your earthly masters, right? And so that word for master is actually the same Greek word that is also translated as Lord. So when he says bondservants, obey in everything, your earthly masters, 
And he says, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, master and Lord are from the same word. And so we could actually read the passage like this. We could retranslate it and say, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly lords, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So don't just obey your earthly lords, but obey with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. So Paul's saying to slaves, slaves, you're working for your earthly lords. This, this is true. And you're to obey them in everything. But your earthly lords are not the only ones who care about your obedience. You have a heavenly Lord, the Lord Jesus, and he very much cares about your obedience also. And unlike your earthly masters, he is always watching. And not only is he watching, but he knows your heart. He knows if you're obeying sincerely or just faking it. He sees every time you disobey or every time you slack off. He knows if your work is done out of reverence for him. So obey your earthly lords in everything they tell you to do, and in all your obedience, be sincere, fearing your heavenly Lord. So what does this whole command here in verse 22 mean for us today? Well, I think it means, as we've been saying, that in our relationships where we find someone else in authority over us, we're called to obey them in everything, not as a people pleaser, but with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. So when you do your math homework, right, that your teacher assigned you, remember, the Lord is watching you do your math homework. You're not like doing this apart from the Lord. Like the Lord is watching and he cares about how you work. He sees the level of your obedience in it. He knows the quality of your obedience. Are you doing it with your heart? Are you doing it just because you want to get it done so that you, you can go watch Netflix afterwards? Like, like these little things that we often think are just like that don't matter. It actually does matter to the Lord. This is what this passage is saying. I mean, you can think about the life of a slave, right, who thinks like, man, my life is just full of trivial things. Like, I do nothing for myself. I just have to do everything for my master all the time. And I feel like it's just sort of pointless. But Paul's saying here, no. Like, everything you do that your master, your earthly masters have tasked you with, this you're to do with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. So he knows if you're doing it just for eye service as a people pleaser, or if you're doing it with a genuine heart, fearing him. He sees you when you're in class and only pretending to be listening. Um, or when your music teacher, maybe some of you guys can, can resonate with this one. Your music teacher gives you an assignment and tells you to practice your scales as well as your music pieces. And you're tempted to skip your scales, let's be honest, right? Because they're torturous and boring, right? But remember, the Lord is watching, and he cares about your obedience, and he cares. Like, I'm serious. Like, your, your teacher has told you, like, this is what you should do, and you're like, okay, teacher, I will do this, right? Then you should do it with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. I mean, this is amazing to think, like, wow, I could do my scales in the fear of the Lord. Like, that's pretty cool. Or you could think about maybe sports is your thing, and you could think about when your coach tells you to run all the way down to the cone and back, right? Like, you got to go all the way down and around the cone. 
and your coach turns the other way, so you're tempted to like maybe get kind of close to the cone and then kind of circle back before you actually get there. The Lord sees you, right? And the, if your earthly master, your coach has told you like this is what you are to do and you are given the impression like I'm going to go run coach, yeah, you got it, but then you don't go all the way. The Lord cares. Like he cares about your obedience. He cares. Like, are you running those drills with your heart? Are you just doing it like, oh, I hate this. I just can't wait till this is over. Like, the Lord actually cares about our hearts in our obedience when we obey our earthly masters. Like, that, that's amazing. And I think every one of us right now is probably saying, like, wow, I really need to make some changes, some changes at school, some changes at work, some changes in my practice. Um, and let's praise God for that, really, because that's his grace working in our hearts, right? To expose where we're not truly obeying him in everything. And um, to, I think the slaves in Colossae were probably feeling the exact same way, and probably even more so. So we can repent and ask God to help us obey this command. And before we move on to the next command, I just want to say a quick note about obeying and everything. Because the slaves had only one master, right? They had one master. And we find, wow, I have a lot of masters, right? Like, I have, like, five or six masters at school that are all making certain demands on me. And to be quite honest, I often feel like my teacher thinks that they're the only teacher I have, and they give me so much homework, I don't know how I'm supposed to finish it all. And then when you stack all the teachers on top of one another and all the homework they give you, you're like, I literally have not enough time to do this. But not only do I have school, I have, I have music, I have sports, and it's like there's not enough time to get every single thing done. And so this really is where, for us, as we seek to apply this passage, we need to use wisdom because, you know, we shouldn't be spending every night getting uh, a lot less sleep than we ought, right? The Lord desires that we rest as well. This is something that he has given to us as a gift. So yes, we're to work hard and obey, but at the same time, we need to balance our lives. And so this is a conversation that for many of you, if you're like, after tonight, you're like, man, I need help with this. I don't know how I'm supposed to apply this passage when I have so much stuff to do, I think this would be a great conversation to have with your parents and just ask them, like, okay, Colossians is telling me this, you know, tonight in Colossians, this is what we learned, and I want to obey this, but I, I don't think that I really can with the current workload I have, and just ask your parents for wisdom, like, how, how can we handle this? Um, so that's my, that's my quick note about that. Um, I don't want you guys to go and, and then not sleep all week. And when I see you next Friday, you're just uh, totally crashing and burning because you're like, we, we're obeying in everything, Josh. Okay. So um, anyways, let's go on to uh, the next command in verse 23. The next command says, whatever you do, work heartily. Work heartily. This is our second command. And it's interesting because heartily here is a different word than the word that Paul used for heart in the last verse when he said, obey sincerely with a sincere heart. Um, this is a different word for heart. And sometimes this word for heart is translated as soul, depending on the context. And 
And I think it's kind of significant here. Paul could have used the same word for heart that he did when he said obey with a sincere heart. But now he's using soul. So what exactly is he getting at when he says work heartily or work with your soul? And I think what he's getting at is really like work with your whole being. Like let everything in you be behind your work. Like who you are on the inside ought to be in your work. So Paul's, you, we could say like our own expression that we have, like put your heart into it, right? Put your heart in your work. I think this is what Paul's saying, like by using that word soul, like put your, yeah, put yourself in your work, put your heart in your work. And I, I think that this would be a, really hard for some slaves to hear, um, especially those who have really mundane jobs. You could think like uh, a slave saying, Paul, like my master makes me work out in the field all day in the hot sun. How am I supposed to work in the dirt with all my heart, right? Like, or my master makes me work in the mine all day. I rarely see the light of day, Paul. I get out when it's dark. How am I supposed to work down there with all my heart? Or my master makes me work as a maid in his house, and all I do is clean and prepare food all day. How am I supposed to put my heart in my work? And I think those questions would be fair if Paul didn't include the next phrase in the verse. Look down at it. It says, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. As for the Lord and not for men. So I think Paul would respond to those objections and say, Well, stop doing your jobs merely for men and start doing them for the Lord. Start doing them for the Lord Jesus. You're not just serving men. You're serving Jesus. You can dig in the dirt for Jesus. You can work in the dangerous, dark mines for Jesus. You can clean the house for Jesus. And I think as a slave listening to this, like, this should be, like, totally liberating, right? Like, I don't just work for my master. Like, this isn't just pointless. Like, I'm working for Jesus. Like, that's amazing, and I think this should be liberating for us, too. Like, I can, I can do my math homework for Jesus? I'm not just doing this for my teacher to get a grade or whatever it is. Like, I can take notes in history for Jesus? I can write essays for Jesus? Or I can run a mile in PE for Jesus? Like, seriously, this is what this, is what this passage is saying to us. And if this isn't great enough, like, to think of that as our motivation, like, Paul gives us three more motivations for why we should work heartily for the Lord Jesus. And the first one is, you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. And that would be amazing to slaves, because most slaves in the Roman Empire did not have any hope of receiving an inheritance from their earthly masters. Some did, but, but most didn't. And so they worked for their master their whole lives, right? And they, the master reaped all the benefits from their labor. And in the end, the slave still has nothing, right? They, st- they have no inheritance. All their life works, life's work belongs to their master. But Paul is saying to them here, the master you're serving rewards those who serve him. 
This master, the Lord, he rewards those who serve him. And what is this reward? He says it's the inheritance, the kingdom of God, or we could say salvation. This is the reward, the inheritance. Peter describes it as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's 1 Peter 1.4. And to make it even more amazing, this inheritance that the slave will receive is the same inheritance that their master will receive if their master is a believer. They will have the same inheritance. And as a slave, that just would be so amazing to hear. Wait, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like as rich as my master. Like I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. We both get to experience that together. And I think that would be truly unbelievable news to a slave. And now some of us might be feeling a bit uncomfortable with this because we're like, wait, I earn the kingdom of God based on my works? And the answer is no, we don't. Paul already used this language of inheritance before. If you turn back to Colossians 1.12, quickly look at it there. Colossians 1.12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in an inheritance of the saints in light, who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So God is the one who qualified you to share in this inheritance. But there is a sense in which we as believers have been saved so that we can do good works. That is the reason, one of the reasons we've been saved, so that we can do good works. If you look at Ephesians 2.10 or just listen, we are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10 says. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has made us who we are. We are his workmanship. He has made us the new creatures that we are in Christ. And he has done this so that we would do good works. And this is how Jesus, without contradicting the gospel of grace through faith, can say in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So who enters the kingdom according to Jesus? Those who do the will of his Father. And how do you become someone who does the will of the Father? By the work that the Father sovereignly does in your heart to make you a person who wants to obey and now walks in the good works that he has prepared beforehand. So Paul can say in the same letter that in 112, God has qualified you to share in this inheritance, and he can say in this passage, you'll receive the reward of the inheritance for the work that you've done to God or to the Lord. And of course, this will not be perfect obedience, but a believer's life will be characterized by obedience to the Lord because the Lord saved him so that he can do these good works. So let us, too, work heartily as for the Lord, knowing that we're not working for the here and now. We're working for an eternal inheritance. We will receive the kingdom of God as our reward for our faithful service to Christ. 
And I think we could say if, if we're working for an inheritance in this life alone, if, if that's why we're doing our school, so that we can get good grades, so that we can get to a good college, so that we can get a good job, so that we can make enough money, so that we can have a nice retirement or just have a nice life, like that is too small of a goal. And that's actually, um, that's really sin, right? That's idolatry if you put that as your top goal. No, our top goal needs to be serving the Lord and knowing that he's going to give us an eternal inheritance. That's, that's what we should be working for. And the second motivation Paul gives us for working heartily is you are serving the Lord Christ. If you look at the next part of, of verse 24, that's exactly what it says. You are serving the Lord Christ. And I think this serves just as another reminder that you're not serving men only, but you're serving the Lord Christ. And think about who this Lord, who this Christ is that you're serving. He is the, the Christ, the Messiah, God's chosen one to reconcile all things to himself. I think that Paul uses this language here so that we would think about all the things that he said about Christ before in Colossians, right? If you look like at Colossians 1.15, Christ you're serving him, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You're serving him who made all things, thrones, dominion, invisible, visible, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's the one who is reconciling all things to himself. He's the one who took you who were alienated and hostile in mind towards him and made you a friend of God. He's the one who you were united to in death. If you look at a at uh, Colossians 2, you were united with him in death and you were raised with him to life. Um, like this is the Christ who you are serving. This is the Lord who are you, you are serving. So whatever you do, work heartily for him. Put all your heart into it. Put all your soul into what you're doing. We need to stop treating school like it's just something we have to put up with because really it's not. Paul is saying here, like, you're serving the Lord Christ in your schoolwork. And this is a task your master in heaven wants you to do for him. And of course, this doesn't mean that school is going to be easy or free from difficulty. But it does mean that it's never going to be pointless. None of your work is going to be pointless because you're serving Jesus. So you could think, even if your teacher assigns you all the even-numbered problems in your math assignment and you accidentally do the odd, how many of you have done that? Anybody? Yes, yes, okay. Even if that happens and you get done and you're like, oh my gosh, I just wasted the last hour, right? You actually didn't waste it. You're serving Jesus. Like, this is what this passage is saying. Like, in everything you're tasked with, like, you do it for Jesus. It's not a waste. If you start typing your essay, right, and your laptop dies before you're able to save, your work that you did was not pointless. Or if you're turning in a group project, right, and you know, like, I did all the work in this project, and my partner is going to get the exact same grade as me, right, and you're, like, so bummed out about that, and you're mad, but listen, like, that's not pointless. Like, you're doing that for Jesus, the Lord Christ. And this is amazing. So really, like, we, we ought to just have so much joy in these mundane, the things that we're thinking as mundane, right? And these things that we're thinking so often are just like torture and like, oh, such a waste of time. Like, no, like, this is worship. Like, we get to worship the Lord Christ in this. And so Paul gives us 
a last motivation, a third motivation, and that's in verse, 20, um, verse 25. He says that there will be a judgment. If you look at verse 25, he says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And Paul's saying the wrongdoer, the disobedient slave, will be punished. Even if he was able to get by in all of his life as a, he was able to convince his master, I'm a good slave, right? As a people pleaser, he's able to do, make his master think, like, I'm a really good slave, but really he's slacking off all the time and disobeying whenever he can. Like, no, that slave will be punished because the true master in heaven is watching and he knows, and he knows the motives of his heart. Now, the question is, is this speaking to believers or unbelievers, right? Because you're like, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. Paid back for the wrong he has done. And you think like, wait, First Peter says in 2.24 that he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that he bore, right? So Jesus bore all the wrongs that we have done on the tree. And Romans 8.1, of course, says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. And in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says, we already read part of the passage before, but he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So these people that are being punished for their, their deeds, their works of lawlessness, these, I think, are the wrongdoers. Those people whose lives were characterized by disobedience. They never had any sincere desire to serve the Lord or to fear him or to work heartily for him. These are people that just wanted to get by in this life as a people pleaser and to work for this life alone. But that is not us if we are in Christ. Christ has paid for every wrongdoing, every amount of disobedience we've had. Um, in our work, every lack of a sincere heart, Christ has paid for it. So let's be a people who obey in everything, not as people pleasers, but with sincere hearts, fearing the Lord. And in whatever task we do, let's work at it with all our heart, as for the Lord and not for men. And now I want to quickly look at what Paul has to say to masters. Because some of us might find ourselves um, in positions of authority over others where we need to learn how we are to, to treat them. So Masters 4.1, or <laughs> Masters 4.1, Colossians 4.1 says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You also have a master in heaven. And remember the, the translation, right? We could translate this master here as Lord. So we could say, Lords, treat your bondservants justly and fairing, knowing that you also have a Lord in heaven. And this is amazing because Paul is essentially saying, Masters, watch how you treat your slaves because you too are a slave of the true master in heaven. 
there really is truly no free man. Every man belongs to Christ, and all men must give an account to him. So whether you acknowledge his lordship or not, he's saying to these masters, Christ is the master. He is the master, and you essentially are his slave. So Paul tells them to treat them, uh, Paul tells the masters to treat their slaves justly and fairly, justly and fairly. This is his command to them. And this is not a justice or a fairness according to the world standard of justice or fairness. This is Christ's standard of justice and fairness. So for you, if you ever find yourself in a position of authority over others, this passage applies to you. Perhaps when you, when you babysit your younger siblings, or if you help out in children's ministry, or in any other position where you might find yourself giving commands to other people, remember that you're not better than those who are under your authority. You're not better than them. You might be in a position of authority over them, but that does, that, that does not mean you're better than them. You too are a slave. You're just a slave of Christ, right? Christ humbles us all before him. So treat those under your authority justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So as we close tonight, I just want to give you guys a word of encouragement as you try to obey these commands, because this is hard. I mean, I was so convicted as I was studying this. And to be honest, like, I've been struggling with this for a long time. When Clifton started preaching Colossians, or was even thinking about preaching Colossians, when was that, like a year ago almost? Last, was it uh, in the summer? Was it, oh, yeah, so we were thinking about it in the summer. And um, Clifton was like, I'm thinking about preaching Colossians. I'm like, oh, really? I've been reading Colossians too. And um, Colossians as well is what I mean. And because, like, I've been so, like, the Lord has shown me, like, man, uh, I've been struggling so much to obey these commands at my job. Um, and I realized it uh, very much during COVID because when I was at my work, I had earthly masters watching me. But then when I was sent home and I'm working in my bedroom, there's no more earthly masters. And my work changed. I didn't work as hard as I did when I was at my job physically. And that, reading these passages, I was just so convicted. And it's really been like probably one of the hardest areas of sanctification where like, you know, you hear this command and you're like, oh yeah, I know I need to change, but like it's so hard to break out of these patterns that we've established. So I've gone through a lot of periods of discouragement because of it. And so I want to kind of share with you guys um, just some, some words of encouragement. So first I want you, when you think about Jesus as your master, know that he's a kind master. Jesus is a kind master. And yes, he's going to repay the ungodly for their disobedience. But to those who are truly his, to those who, who love him and know him, he is gentle and humble in heart. This is how he describes himself. He stands ready to help you do the work that you're called to do. In fact, he says in, in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he says that in a passage that's all about bearing fruit, about doing good works, essentially. And he's like, apart from me, you can do nothing. So know that this is a master who wants to be with you in the work, who wants to be the one empowering you to do the work, because really, 
If you don't do it with him, you can't do it. You can't have true obedience. So go to him and ask him for help. Lord, help me to obey. This is so hard. Like, help me to see your beauty so that I'm actually motivated to, to do this in the fear of you or to work heartily as for you. So you can think about how to apply this in so many different ways, right? Like you're doing your math homework and you get to a spot where you're stuck, right? And you're like, I just can't figure it out. And you're frustrated. Like ask the Lord for help. Like he, he wants to help those like who ask him. So ask him for help. Pray for wisdom that you can carry out your service for him. And when you sit down to write an essay, if you're like having writer's block, you just can't get the words down on the page, like everything you're trying, like you're typing, you're like, no, this just isn't it. Like, ask God, ask the Lord Jesus to give you clarity. Like, ask him for help to do this work that you've been tasked with. Because Jesus really does. He wants you to obey. And of course, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to have the perfect essay or the perfect, we're going to get 100% on all everything we do. But Jesus doesn't necessarily care so much about that. What he cares about is your heart in, in the service to him. So let's serve him with all our hearts. And I just want to pray now that the Lord would help us to do this. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much, God, that, that you give us your word, that we would know how... Um, how you want us to work for you. Uh, God, if we didn't have this, Lord, how we would be living in such disobedience to you. Um, but we thank you, God, that you have given us your word tonight, Lord, and that you've even convicted our hearts. You've shown us um, just how, how disobedient we might be, areas where we need to grow, um, big changes that we might need to make, Lord. And, and we see these things and we're like, man, this is hard. This is heavy. This is a lot. And, um, but God, may we know that this is your grace working in our hearts, that um, you are calling us to live uh, a holy life and uh, a heart, or have a life of, of obedience to Christ, to serve him as our Lord, to do everything for him, whatever we do, um, in everything we do, we're to serve him. So we pray, God, that you would help. Um, we pray that through your spirit, you would empower us to do this work heartily for you that we would be a people who obey in everything, not in just some things, but we obey in everything with sincere hearts, fearing the Lord, and that we would be a people who really put our heart into our work, knowing that we're serving the Lord and not men. So God, I pray that you would be exalted um, in the next week as we think about how to apply these things, God. Open our eyes to see where we can put this into practice and may we trust in you and wait on you for the help that we need to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.